Welcome to The Calm Down. My guests this week are the women of Feminist Folklore, our partner podcast at Skylark Media. From the Brothers Grimm to modern urban legends, each week Carly Hall Jensen and Rachel Marr consider what these stories can tell us about women's roles in different cultures and how they express society's beliefs about gender and sexuality. Today we'll be discussing different interpretations of the Hookman tale, as well as the true crime stories of Lover's Lane, while we dissect the phenomenon of the teenage urban legend, our very own oral tradition. We've already covered the panic. Now, here's the calm down. All right, I am here with Rachel Marr and Carly Hall Jensen from Skylark Media's other podcast on the same network as American Hysteria, and that is Feminist Folklore. Hello to you both. Hi. Oh, hey there. I'm so excited that you both came on. I'm a huge fan of Feminist Folklore, and I think there's so much that our shows do, even though your show is a talk-based, conversational show and mine's a scripted show. We still cover the same kind of cultural criticism, cultural study types of things that folklore and and things like urban legends both represent. So I think today we're just going to be talking about kind of a little bit of the women's perspective of some of these stories, especially the hook, urban legends in general, and just uh, the stories that teens tell. So... Thanks All for right. having us. Yeah, we love we love contemporary legends. Those are like our favorite. Carly and I just love telling those. So thanks for having us on. Well, I, I feel like you're going to lend a certain expertise that I'm very excited about. And um, we were just talking before we started the actual recording here that um, my introduction to urban legends, uh, especially The Hook and things like The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs and um, The Killer in the Back Seat, came from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is that fantastic series of books that came out when we were kids and you you all are in your early 30s right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep yeah. and i'm 30 so we're we're coming at this from a pretty similar uh frame of reference so you both read scary stories to tell the dark growing up is that true absolutely yep mm-hmm. favorite book terrifying terrifying illustrations i still dream about those they are so scary in that vein, we talk about in the episode, um, The Hook, that's the main legend that we talk about as, as a cautionary tale to young women who who may um, engage in some necking slash underage, you know, unmarried sex on a lover's lane in the 1950s. So um, you all have prepared some different versions of The Hook. I'm not sure how you want to present that, but we, we kind of wanted to look at some of the other ideas behind The Hook. Aside from it just being this straight up cautionary tale, don't have sex, but about the symbology of the hook itself and and some of the nitty gritty points. So so why don't you take it away, you guys? Yeah, I mean, I love the versions. And actually, the one that I've heard is the most gross one, which I didn't realize that it was the most gross one. Like, I didn't know that there was one where she escaped. Um, And I I actually, um, so there's other, you know, there's a million versions, but some of the ones that we pulled together... um, is the is the one where the woman in the car he oh maybe i should back up um just so that i give a full sense of what the hook man is basically it's um there's an escaped um guy that from a nearby institution who is out on the prowl and these two teenagers necking in a car um he 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 happens upon them um but it's told from the couple's uh perspective and usually you know um the the hook man reveals himself in some way uh another version is um that the woman the guy finds a flat tire the boyfriend and so he 
he goes out to get help. Um, and then the woman hears a dripping on the car and then um, she opens the door. She looks up and her, her boyfriend is in a tree and the blood is dripping, dripping on the car. Another version is that the woman falls asleep in the car when the boyfriend goes to get help because there's a flat tire. Um, and then she wakes up to see this crazed hook man in front of in front of the car and um, the car is locked thank goodness but he holds up the head of her boyfriend and also the car keys and then the story ends um so i think all of these versions are very like i remember that actually the one that i remember is seeing the boyfriend in the tree and i don't know if it's because scream came out unclear um because isn't it an urban legend too i think that one's an urban legend or is it is is it in uh i know you did last summer oh yeah that's right. It might be. I know what you did last summer because he's based on the hook, man. I mean, he's got the hook. Right. You know? He's got yeah. the actual hook. Anyway, continue. <laughs> no, no, that's right. Yeah, I don't I don't know what why the version was floating around in the place in Maryland that I was, but it was always that he was hung up in a tree and the dripping was her, was him. So those. Yeah. Oh, we were both Maryland. So maybe it's just the area. Unclear. In um, my research, it seems like those are kind of like they're a different legend they're like a deviation but a different legend so there's the boyfriend's death which is where he's hanging from the tree and in some versions it's the drip and other versions it's the scraping of his feet right on top of the roof right and right, then she right. figures out what happens but but i guess i'm interested in how those two that one is pretty different in a way from the other cautionary tale because the person punished is the boy you know so what how does that analysis change with the boyfriend's death and then with the hook man the boyfriend's death is a little bit more punitive in a way um but the thing that is interesting to me about that is also that the girlfriend is right in that version she's like don't go Mm -hmm. out there don't go Mm -hmm. out there it's gonna you know you're something bad's gonna happen and um she she turns out to be correct and and she's the one who's kind of presenting this safer version of behavior um which feels uh, kind of appropriate to me also that like maybe because girls are socialized to think about their safety more um Mm -hmm. you know well in a way it's like it's almost worse that the boyfriend gets punished because the guilt of that Mm -hmm. for her Mm -hmm. right i mean and it's also her that that makes them stop because she's scared in the other hook version where the hook's hanging off the thing so it's also like it it falls squarely on the shoulders of the girl right the responsibility it seems like yeah and it's i mean on the one hand like that feels correct to me that young women often have to kind of carry the pressure of like being the one to mitigate men's behavior um of course we're all talking about in heterosexual scenarios but not exclusively you know whether you're queer or not you're still like responsible for shitty young men too um but you know there's this uh, this sense that young women are the ones who have to like say no that boys are just going to do what they want boys will be boys and i think that there's there it, that feels like an accurate reflection of social pressure that is put on women that like they're the ones for being who are responsible for making calls about safety whereas young men are not expected to be responsible in that way yeah and i think that that the urban legend kind of says well they should be right in some ways like hey i don't know if that's what it's trying to get at but i think if you read it from that perspective 
you know, it's his fault he didn't take her seriously. You know, it's his fault that he wasn't thinking about safety. And I think um, that's kind of refreshing a little bit because uh, I don't know uh, if anybody listens to the show, but it's very depressing because most of the time the women are the ones uh, making the choices and getting the, the repercussions of those choices. Right. Um, and in this case, she makes a choice. He listens or doesn't and he pays the price. And I think there's something there that is that's um, a little refreshing. I mean, I think like Carly's saying about the boys will be boys. You know, I think that there's um, a connection here with everybody should think about their safety. And I'm not sure that I mean, I think sex is the catalyst here, which is unfortunate uh, because, in, as you said in your episode, Chelsea, it's it's um, actually pretty counter counterproductive to have that as the the core point of this but you know i think thinking about everybody's safety in terms of sex even is a good thing right um so and he faces the consequences for that um quite seriously you ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity eat literal food has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules well your spring can be a little more stress-free with factor factor will provide you with delicious never frozen ready to eat gourmet meals that are chef crafted dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes each week you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast lunch or dinner with absolutely no prepping cooking or cleaning up and factor makes sure you get exactly what you want you can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week and you can pause anytime so just head to factormeals.com slash american hysteria 50 and use code american hysteria 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next box that's code american hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash american hysteria 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next box while your subscription is active check out factor today what that brings me to is this other interpretation that i brought into the episode that i know i think it was carly you said that you have some questions about or your own sort of challenges too which is that idea that bill ellis the folklorist came up with um that this this hook-handed killer is actually a moral custodian or basically an authority figure that seeks to invade the private world of the teenager for their own whatever strange reasons they have for doing that mm-hmm. um so carly Carly, what is your response to that? Tell yeah. Me. Yeah. So I, I'm like very interested in the idea that you could kind of interpret this story as like a pro sex or like a sex positive story where like, cause Ellis is kind of saying like, actually the hook man is like a, a kind of negative or I think he like abnormal drive to interrupt like normal teenage behavior. And so like in that sense, then what the kids are doing necking in the woods alone is like, normal and fine and there's sort of this like terrifying interruption to it which is which ellis is conflating with the idea of like adults trying to prevent kids from doing what they're going to do anyway which like i really i really love the idea that that this is actually a story not about adults anxiety about kids having sex but about kids anxiety about 
adults preventing them from having sex. Like, that's just delightful, I think. Um, but I also, like, don't know if I fully buy that read. Like, it, it, when I start to, like, dig into it, it sort of falls apart for me in a way. Um, because, like, what happens when the hook man is prevented, right, is positive, right? Like, there's the, the hook man comes in and and tries to disrupt and it's it's uh terrifying right that he's he's a source of fear but like what comes out of avoiding the hook man is a happy ending i think it's a question of who's telling the story like where does the circulation of that story come from is this kids telling the story about their anxieties or is it adults telling it about their anxieties and i think we tend to assume that it's adults um which the like the dear abby um example that you read in the show like that suggests to me that that's probably an adult circulating that i don't know um but it also like a lot of what these stories do is is reinforce cultural control right like that's the whole purpose of a cautionary tale is to say like do what the majority of us think is right like don't don't stray from the path um and we talk a lot about this on the show that like there are plenty of stories where like the quote-unquote moral of it is like stick to the status quo like stick to what most people think is is moral or correct um and i feel like if you read this story as a cautionary tale it is very much a, a story about not you know it's a story about anxiety about not doing these things you know that sex, teen sex is bad um and to be happy and survive you have to not do those things and so that that ellis's interpretation kind of feels in con like in conflict with that reading of it to me and then i know rachel you were mentioning another reading of it that's a little bit more um a little bit let's say freudian <laughs> shall we yeah, yes. shall we? Do you wanna, it's definitely you of the Freudian variety. Yeah, tell me. Tell you about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, um, there, there's this, uh, I think it was, wait, wait, Carly, help me say this. Dundas? Is that right? I think it's Alan Dundas. Dundas. Um, Alan Dundas um, says that the hook is actually a phallic symbol. Um, and it's this idea that the, the hook man, uh, you know, is like that he's missing an appendage. Right. And so he stops sex from happening um, because he can't also have sex because it's an appendage. And so, I mean, I, I don't know that I buy that <laughs> necessarily, but I do wonder, though, I mean, this is kind of a weird left turn, but we're going. So everybody hold on. Um, you know, there's this there's a lot of talk like i don't know if you guys are into murders and id course, channel and yes. stuff unfortunately i am um and i know a lot of murders have taken place on lovers lane like zodiac uh killers murders um some some of the son of sam stuff was also done on lovers lane um there was somebody in texarkana that that did a lot of Lo lovers lane the moonlight murders moonlight, that, yeah. Oh, yeah so i think that there's like i think that the phallic symbol is very correct if you look at the actual perp perp um, perpetration uh, i can't say that word but the actual perpetrators of these crimes right there was some sort of sexual component that they couldn't quite you know it wasn't actually you know they weren't able to do something sexually so they took it out on these uh kids in in these lover lane lovers lanes and i think that happens with at least uh i only know the zodiac killer and the son of sam for sure i think that that was one of the big reasons why they did it and i i wonder too how that rolls back into the um the actual contemporary legend right like having uh, having uh, an actual murder 
on a lover's lane? Like, how does that feed back into this sort of anxiety of sex and, and love and teenage love and, and young love and, and how that's not reliable? And, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm more postulating the question than answering yours, Chelsea, so I'm sorry. But Well, actually, no. I mean, I'm really glad you brought that up um, because it was really hard for me to not include that part in the uh, in the actual episode just because it would have been a whole, like you said, it's kind of a left turn. Like, I'm such a true crime person that yeah. I wanted to talk about Texarkana, which did happen <laughs> in the 40s, which was um, what you mm-hmm. were referencing. I, I, I will never know the motivations of that because that person was never caught. Uh, the Zodiac was never caught. But Son of Sam, we very much know that his motivation was basically the the interpretation of the um the person who, like you said, the um, almost like the castrated male or whatever of a Freudian of mm-hmm. a Freudian conversation who <clears throat> goes to kill these young people that he feels are engaging in what has not been given to him. You know, he was very much a um, red pill, you know, men's rights activist of of that time. But I will say that Son of Sam came long after the legend had already begun. And so that's where I think those stories, and I think we talk about this in in American Hysteria, where these, these things happen, these perfect crimes that encapsulate a moment in history and encapsulate the anxieties of the overculture, right? And I think that that's a good example, though, even though maybe it didn't cause the legend, it allowed the legend to continue to to sort of snowball into holding different meanings right and so i don't think a legend is 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 fixed in time right and so these things are going to influence its transformation when there's something in the in the water so to speak right like something in the cultural moment it expresses itself in lots of different ways so like it might express itself in uh, an imaginary narrative or in a work of art, but it's also gonna like express itself in people's actions. And so, like the idea that then, like I'm, I'm always sort of skeptical of the idea that like there has to be a factual basis for a narrative, right? For for a legend or for um, a fairy tale, people are really quick to like national treasure things where they're like, yeah, this is based on something that actually happened. And like, sometimes that's true. Um, But also, I think sometimes it's just like, these are just, this is a real and and a narrative expression. They sort of branched off in different ways. The idea that like, someone in the in the 40s would uh, be reacting to the same kind of cultural forces that you're talking about in the episode of like, you know, uh, cars are available, the idea the teenager is is kind of coming to to preeminence, that someone would see all of these things happening and see teenagers having increased sexual agency and respond to it with the same kind of anger that the story expresses seems very natural to me. Like that makes a lot of sense as a kind of horrific literal outcropping of the same kinds of cultural concerns that the narratives express. Yeah. And I think too the 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 way that the hookman is sort of given to us, right? The way that it's told to us is is that even though the woman is right, she should be afraid. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that we see through almost all the folklore we look at, right? Um Carly kind of mentioned it earlier that like it's the woman's job to be safe. Um, which is why Carly and I tend to love the women that are just like, 
here to kill because <laughs> it's extremely refreshing. You know, like they're not worried about their safety. They're going to come get you. And there is something there that, that is so different from what we expect from women. And I think there's a lot of like, I, I know um, this isn't quite on the same uh, I guess level as the hook man, but you know, the babysitter when the man upstairs that was based on a real case, uh, a woman, um, in, I think in March of 1950, she, she was killed and nobody, she was 13 years old. She wasn't even, she's a little girl, March 18th, 1950. And she was killed. And, and then this sort of like rumor, you know, connected to that. Um, and she did call the police. They couldn't trace it because it was prior to that technology. Um, but there's so much there that like, she's responsible for her safety. She needs to figure out how she can get help. Um, and I think there's, a, there's this underlying sort of sexist feel, um, in general about these stories, about how women need to act. And, um, you know, we, we, Carly and I talk about that a lot, um, and how problematic that is, but also it does serve to keep us safe. So, you know, in the case of the hook man, you know, the woman is safe. So it's this sort of problematic, or I guess sim like problematic symbiotic relationship, right? Where you're still thinking about your safety, but you're recognizing that that's problematic. Um, and I think the hook man is a very good example of that. And then, you know, the, the, uh, babysitter and the man upstairs is another good example about, I mean, there's also of other anxieties that we clearly have, right? Like you were saying, um, in the car, having this technology to get away from the parent, um, but I think, too, in The Babysitter, it's the technology of the phone and how it can't save you, right? Like, there's some sort of anxiety there about um, we're moving too fast, things are happening too quickly, and it's not helping us, you know? So, and Well, I'm throwing it back really quick to uh, Satanic Panic. Mm -hmm. It's also to uh, women leaving and leaving children in the hands of others. True. Yeah. Which is, again, another form of social control, right? Love it. Yay. Yeah. I think what you all said about about social control and about the reinforcing of social norms is so much what I have discovered about our uh, about our country. And, of course, every country, every human nature um, through doing American hysteria is that so much of the stories we tell and the symbols that we that we inherit and pass on have to do with the dominant culture's ideas of what, you know, are social norms and what those social norms need to be. And I think the biggest thing is as our world changes, we need to continuously recognize that the stories we tell have to do with our social norms. If I can say, too, I think one of the things that folklore is really about is saying, OK, what is the what is the use of this, right? How does satanic panic or how does a story about rainbow uh, parties, like how does that control people? But also as like an expressive art form, how does it give voice to those anxieties? Because it is, I mean, it does have this social utility, but it also like, if you look at those satanic panic stories as like an expression of a cultural moment, they're kind of beautiful and incredible and weird. And like, you couldn't make a movie that was weirder than that. You know, you couldn't invent something mm -hmm. that was stranger. And so I think we do something like in looking at what the use is of things, we should also be looking at like, how do they help us articulate our anxieties about our cultural moment? Too. What a beautiful way to end. I love that. That is absolutely perfect. So please, everyone listening, go listen to Feminist Folklore. You will not be disappointed. These two will make you laugh and make you think. And uh, I know I love listening. So thank you both for talking to me. This has been really fun. Thanks yeah. so much, Chelsea. Looking forward to the next episode. Bye. 
This was American Hysteria's The Calm Down. My guests this week were Carly Hall Jensen and Rachel Marr of Feminist Folklore. Make sure you subscribe to their show and follow Feminist Folklore on social media. And this episode was produced by Clear Camo Studios. We're taking a break next week, but join us in two weeks for our episode on American drug scares. And until then, y'all, just say no. Have a great couple weeks. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.